Welcome to Illyria, a suburban neighborhood resting just outside the city where everyone dreams of eventually settling down. Among the residents of Illyria is Orsino, a hotshot and a well-known fellow in the neighborhood. He has money, he has power, but what he doesn't have is love. He has his heart set on the gorgeous Olivia, the heiress who has unfortunately just sworn off men. Life is simple here in Illyria, at least for now. Stay tuned to see things get turned around and upside down in this episode of Twelfth Night, the radio show. This evening, Orsino sits comfortably in an armchair in his living room, listening to one of his many vinyl records. His assistant, Curio, stands beside the record player, ready to once again change the music at the demand of his employer. If music be the food of love, play on. Give me excess of it, that surfeiting the appetite may sicken and so die. Oh, that strain again, it had a dying fall. Oh, it came o'er my ear like the sweet sound that breathes upon a bank of violets, stealing and giving odor. Enough. No more. It's not so sweet now as it was before. Oh, spirit of love. How quick and fresh art thou, that notwithstanding thy capacity receiveth as the sea, not enters there, of what validity and pitch soever, but falls into abatement and low price, even in a minute. So full of shapes is a fancy, that it alone is high fantastical. Will you go hunt, my lord? What, Curio? The heart. Why, so I do, the noblest that I have. Oh, when mine eyes did see Olivia first, methought she purged the air of pestilence. That instant was I turned into a heart, and my desires, like fell and cruel hounds, ever since pursue me. Valentine, another one of Orsino's assistants, enters with news. How now? What news from her? Uh, so please, my lord, I might not be admitted, but from her handmaid do return this answer. The element itself, till seven years' heat, shall not behold her face at ample view, but, like a cloistress, she will veiled walk and water once a day her chamber round with eye-offending brine, all this to season a brother's dead love, which she would keep fresh and lasting in her sad remembrance. Oh, she that hath a heart of that fine frame to pay this debt of love but to a brother, how will she love? When the rich golden shaft hath killed the flock of all affections else that live in her. When liver, brain, and heart, these sovereign thrones are all supplied. And filled her sweet perfections with one self-king. Away, before me to sweet beds of flowers. Love thoughts lie rich when canopied with bowers. a scorcher out there, folks, so make sure you stay in the shade. Breaking now, we have just received news of a train crash. That's right, a train crash. The 4.30 Minneapolis-bound train was derailed by a fallen tree. It is still unclear how many people were hurt, so it is all hands on deck at the scene to find and rescue any and all survivors. Our hearts go out to everyone affected by this catastrophe.
Viola, the heroine of this tale, stumbles over wreckage as she emerges from a crashed train car. She is dazed and panicked, searching for her beloved brother, Sebastian. He visited the dining car just minutes before the crash, and she can't seem to locate him in the chaos. In the dusty air, she can barely see an inch in front of her face, and she runs right into the conductor of the train, who is working tirelessly to recover survivors. What country, friend, is this? This is Illyria, lady. And what should I do in Illyria? My brother, he is in Elysium. Perchance he is not dead. What think you, Captain? It is perchance that you yourself were saved. (gasps) My poor brother. And so perchance may he be. True, madam. And to comfort you with chance, assure yourself... After our train did crash, when you and those poor numbers saved with you hung on our driving car, I saw your brother, most provident in peril, bind himself, courage and hope both teaching him the practice to a strong machine that lived upon the tracks, where, like Arion on the dolphin's back, I saw him hold acquaintance with the tracks, so long as I could see. For saying so, there's gold. My own escape unfoldeth to my hope, whereto thy speech serves for authority the like of him. Knowest thou this country? Who governs here? A noble duke, in nature as in name. What is the name? Orsino. Orsino? I have heard my father name him. He was a bachelor then. And so is now, or was so very late. For but a month ago I went from hence, and then twas fresh in murmur that he did seek the love of fair Olivia. What's she? A virtuous maid, the daughter of a count that died some twelve months since, then leaving her in the protection of his son, her brother, who shortly also died, for whose dear love they say she hath abjured the company in sight of men. That I served that lady, and might not be delivered to the world till I had made mine own occasion mellow what my estate is. That were hard to compass, because she will admit no kind of suit. No, not the duke's. There is a fair behaviour in thee, Captain. I prit thee, and I'll pay thee bounteously. Conceal me what I am, and be my aid for such disguise as haply shall become the form of my intent. I'll serve this duke. Thou shalt present me as a eunuch to him. It may be worth thy pains, for I can sing and speak to him in many sorts of music that will allow me very worth his service. What else may hap to time, I will commit. Only shape thou thy silence to my wit. Be you his eunuch, and your mute I'll be. When my tongue blabs, then let mine eyes not see. I thank thee. Lead me on. Welcome to Olivia's estate. It is a beautiful home, but full of tragedy. Her father and brother have just died, and her uncle, Sir Toby Belch, is currently visiting. This mischievous drunkard is currently bothering Mariah, Olivia's maid. What a plague means my niece to take the death of her brother thus. I am sure cares an enemy to life. By my troth, Sir Toby, you must come in earlier o' nights. Your cousin, my lady, takes great exceptions to your ill hours. Why let her accept before accepted? Aye, but you must confine yourself within the modest limits of order. Confine? I'll confine myself no finer than I am. These clothes are good enough to drink in, and so be these boots, too. That quaffing and drinking will undo you. I heard my lady talk of it yesterday. 
and of a foolish knight that you brought in one night here to be her wooer. Who? Sir Andrew Aguecheek? I. He. He's as tall a man as any's in Illyria. What's that to the purpose? Why, he has $10,000 a year. Aye, but he'll have but a year in all these dollars. He's a very fool and a prodigal. Fie that you'll say so. He plays over the vile to gamboys and speaks three or four languages word for word without book and hath all the good gifts of nature. He hath indeed almost natural, for besides that he's a fool, he's a great quarreler, and but that he hath the gift of a coward to allay the gust he hath in quarreling. Tis thought among the prudent he would quickly have the gift of a grave. By this hand they are scoundrels and subtractors that say so of him. Who are they? They that add, moreover, he's drunk nightly in your company. (coughs) With drinking healths to my niece... I'll drink to her as long as there is a passage in my throat and drink in Illyria. He's a coward and a coistrel that will not drink to my niece till his brains turn over the toe like a parish top. What wench speak of the devil for here comes Sir Andrew Aguface. Sir Andrew Aguecheek, one of Olivia's suitors and a good friend of Sir Toby's, careens into the room. What he lacks in brains, he makes up for in a whole lot of money. Sir Toby Belch! How now, Sir Toby Belch! Sweet Sir Andrew! Bless you, fair shrew! And you too, sir. A cost, Sir Andrew, a cost! What's that? My niece's chambermaid! Good mistress, a cost! I desire better acquaintance. My name is Mary, sir. Good mistress, Mary, a cost! You mistake, knight! A cost is greet her, board her. Woo her, assail her. By my troth, I would not undertake her in this company. Is that the meaning of a cost? Fare you well, gentlemen. And thou let part so, Sir Andrew, wouldst thou might never draw sword again? Oh, and you part so, mistress, I would I might never draw sword again. Fair lady, do you think you have fools in hand? Sir, I have not you by the hand. Mary, but you shall have, and here's my hand. Uh... Now, sir, thought is free. I pray you bring your hand to the buttery bar and let it drink. Wherefore, sweetheart? What's your metaphor? It's dry, sir. Why, I think so. I am not such an ass, but I can keep my hand dry. What's your jest? A dry jest, sir. Are you full of them? Aye, sir, I have them at my fingers' ends. Mary, now I let go your hand. I am barren. Mariah bustles off, hiding a smile. Oh, knight, thou lackest a cup of canary. When did I see thee so put down? Never in your life, I think, unless you see canary put me down. You think sometimes I have no more wit than an ordinary man has, but I am a great eater of beef, and I believe that does harm to my wit. No question. If I thought that, I'd forswear it. I'll ride home tomorrow, Sir Toby. Pourquoi, my dear knight? What is pourquoi? Do or do not? I would I had bestowed that time in the tongues that I have in fencing, dancing, and bear baiting. Then hadst thou had an excellent head of hair. Why would that have mended my hair? Now past question, for thou seest it will not curl by nature. Mm. It hangs like flax on a distaff. 
And I hope to see a housewife take thee between her legs and spin it off. Faith, I'll home tomorrow, Sir Toby. Your niece will not be seen, or if she be, it's four to one, she'll none of me. The Count himself here hard by woos her. Oh, she'll none of the Count. She'll not match above her degree, neither in estate, years, nor wit. I have heard her swear it. Oh, tut, there's life in it, man. I'll stay a month longer. I am a fellow of the strangest mind of the world. I delight in masks and revels sometimes altogether. Art thou good at these kickshawses, knight? Oh, as any man in Illyria, whatsoever he be, under the degree of my betters, and yet I will not compare with an old man. What is thy excellence in a galliard, knight? Faith, I can cut a caper. And I can cut the mutton to it. And I think I have the back trick simply as strong as any man in Illyria. Andrew shakes his hips, which escalates to a solo conga line around the kitchen. Wherefore are these things hid? Wherefore have these gifts a curtain before them? My very walk should be a jig. I would not so much as make water but in a sink a pace. What dost thou mean? Is it a world to hide virtues in? I did think, by the excellent constitution of thy leg, it was formed under the star of a galliard. Aye, tis strong, and it doesn't differ well in a flame-colored stock. Shall we set about some revels? What shall we do else? Were we not born under Taurus? Taurus? That's sides and heart. No, sir. It is legs and thighs. Let me see the caper. Ha! Higher! Ha! Ha! Excellent! Back at Orsino's place, Valentine arrives with a young man named Cesario in tow. Who is Cesario, you may ask? Well... He's actually Viola in disguise, donning men's apparel to score a job as Orsino's new assistant. Viola, I mean, Cesario, has quickly become one of Orsino's favorites. If the Duke continue these favors toward you, Cesario, you are like to be much advanced. He hath known you but three days, and already you are no stranger. You either fear his humor or my negligence that you call in question the continuance of his love. Is he inconstant, sir, in his favors? <laughs> no, believe me. I thank you. Here comes the Count. Orsino marches in, followed by Curio. Who saw Cesario? Ho! On your attendance. <clears throat> On your attendance, my lord, here. Stand you a while aloof, Cesario. Thou knowst no less but all. I have unclasped to thee the book even of my secret soul. Therefore, good youth, address thy gate unto her. Be not denied access. Stand at her doors and tell them... There thy fixed foot shall grow, till thou have audience. Sure, my noble lord, if she be so abandoned to her sorrow, as it is spoke, she never will admit me. Be clamorous, and leap all civil bounds, rather than make unprofited return. Say I do speak with her, my lord, what then? Oh, then unfold the passion of my love. Surprise her with discourse of my dear faith. It shall become thee well to act my woes. She will attend it better in thy youth than in a messenger's of more grave aspect. I think not so, my lord. Dear lad, believe it, for they shall yet belie thy happy years that say thou art a man. Diana's lip is not more smooth and rubious. Thy small pipe is as the maiden's organ, shrill and sound, and all is semblative a woman's part. I know thy composition is right apt for this affair. One of you two attend him, both, if you will. For I myself am best when least in company. 
prosper well in this, and thou shalt live as freely as thy lord to call his fortunes thine. I'll do my best to woo your lady, yet a barful strife, whoe'er I woo, myself would be his wife. Oh no! It appears that Viola has fallen for the man of the house. But if she wants to keep her job, she has to keep up the charade as Cesario. Meanwhile, there seems to be a lot going on back at Olivia's house. Introducing Festy the Clown! He considers himself to be quite the comedian, and he has been hired to spread humor and merriment. But right now he's just annoying Mariah. Nay, either tell me where thou hast been, or I will not open my lips so wide as a bristle may enter in the way of thy excuse. My lady will hang thee for thy absence. Let her hang me. He that is well hanged in this world needs fear no colors. Make that good. Well, you shall see none to fear. A good meager answer. <sighs> Those that are fools, let them use their talents. Yet you will be killed for being so long absent. Or to be turned away, is that not as good as death to you? Well, many a good hanging prevents a bad marriage, and for turning away, let summer bear it out. You are resolute, then? Not so, neither. But I am resolved on two points. That if one break, the other will hold, or if both break, your gaskins fall? <laughs> oh, apt in good faith, very apt. Well, go thy way. If Sir Toby would leave drinking, that were as witty a piece of Eve's flesh as any in Illyria. Peace, you rogue, no more of that. Here comes my lady. Make your excuse wisely. You were best. Mariah hastens away. The beautiful and captivating Olivia, donning her morning attire, walks dolefully into the room. Following close behind is her butler, Malvolio, who is known for being a wet rag most of the time. Wit and be thy will. Put me into good fooling. Oh, those wits that think they have thee do very oft prove fools. And I, that am sure I lack thee, may pass for a wise man. For what says Quinopolis? Better witty fool than a foolish wit. God bless thee, lady. Take the fool away. Do you not hear, fellow? Take away the lady. Go to, you're a dry fool. I'll know more of you. Besides, you grow dishonest. As there is no true cuckold but calamity, so beauty's a flower. The lady bade take away the fool, therefore I say again, take her away. Sir, I bade him take away you. Oh, Miss Prison in the highest degree. A good Madonna, give me leave to prove you a fool. Can you do it? Dexterously, good Madonna. Make your proof. I must catechize you for it. Madonna, good my mouse of virtue, answer me. Well, sir, for want of other idleness, I'll bide your proof. Good Madonna, why mournest thou? Good fool, for my brother's death. Well, I think his soul is in hell, Madonna. <laughs> I know his soul is in heaven, fool. The more fool, Madonna, to mourn for your brother's soul being in heaven. <laughs> Take away the fool, gentlemen. What think you of this fool, Malvolio? Doth he not mend? Yes, and shall do till the pangs of death shake him. Infirmity that decays the wise doth ever make the better fool. God send you, sir, a speedy infirmity, for the better increasing your folly. Sir Toby will be sworn that I am no fox, but he will not pass his word for two cents that you are no fool. <laughs> How say you to that, Malvolio? I marvel your ladyship takes delight in such a barren rascal. I saw him put down the other day with an ordinary fool that has no more brain than a stone. <laughs> Look you now, he's out of his guard already. Unless you laugh and minister occasion to him, he is gagged. 
I protest I take these wise men, the crow so at these set kinds of fools, no better than the fool stooges. Oh, you are sick of self-love, Malvolio, and taste with a distempered appetite. To be generous, guiltless, and of free disposition is to take those things for bird bolts that you deem cannon bullets. There is no slander in an allowed fool, though he do nothing but rail, nor no railing in a known discreet man, though he do nothing but reprove. Now, Mercury, endue thee with leasing, for thou speakest well of fools. Mariah, Olivia's maid, returns. Madam, there is at the gate a young gentleman much desires to speak with you. From the Count Orsino, is it? I know not, madam. Tis a fair young man, and well attended. Who of my people hold him in delay? Sir Toby, madam, your kinsman. Oh, fetch him off, I pray you. He speaks nothing but madman. Fie on him. Yes, madam. And off Mariah goes. Go you, Malvolio. If it be a suit from the Count, I am sick or not at home. What you will to dismiss it. <laughs> Malvolio scuttles away. Now you see, sir, how your fooling grows old and people dislike it. Thou hast spoke for us, Madonna, as if thy eldest son should be a fool, whose skull drove cram with brains for, uh, oh, here he comes. One of thy kin has a most weak piamater. Sir Toby Belch stumbles in, bottle in hand. And it doesn't look like it's his first. Hey! By mine honor half drunk. What is he at the gate, cousin? A gentleman. A gentleman. A what gentleman? Tis a gentleman. Tis a gentleman. Tis a gentleman. He. A plague of these pickle herring. How now, sot? Oh, good Sir Toby. Cousin, cousin, how have you come so early by this lethargy? Lechery? I defy lechery. There's one at the gate. I, Mary, what is he? Oh, let him be the devil and he will. I care not. Give me faith, say I. Well, it's all one. Sir Toby wobbles off. What's a drunken man like, fool? Like a drowned man, a fool, and a madman. One draught above heat makes him a fool, the second mads him, and the third drowns him. Go thou and seek the crowner, and let him sit on my cuz, for he's in the third degree of drink. He's drowned. Go look after him. No, he is but mad yet, Madonna. And the fool shall look to the madman. Festy the clown makes a graceful exit. Malvolio returns, bursting with news from the mystery man at the door. Madam, yon young fellow swears he will speak with you. I I told him you were sick. He takes on him to understand so much and therefore comes to speak with you. I told him you were asleep. He seems to have a foreknowledge of that, too, and therefore comes to speak with you. What is to be said to him, lady? He's fortified against any denial. Tell him he shall not speak with me. Has been told so, and he says he'll stand at your door like a sheriff's post and be the supporter to a bench, but he'll speak with you. What kind of man is he? Why, of mankind. What manner of man? Oh, a very ill manner. He'll speak with you, will you or no. Of what personage and years is he? Mm. Not yet old enough for a man, nor young enough for a boy. As the squash is before tis a peas cod, or a cooling when tis almost an apple, tis with him in standing water between boy and man. He is very well favored, and he speaks very shrewishly. One would think his mother's milk were scarce out of him. Let him approach. Call in my gentlewoman. Gentlewoman! 
My lady calls. Mariah rushes in. Malvolio bows far too deeply and prances off. Give me my veil. Come, throw it o'er my face. We'll once more hear Orsino's embassy. Olivia dons her dark veil. Finally, the visitor, accompanied by Curio and Valentine, strides in. It's Viola, disguised as Cesario. She's ready to woo Olivia's socks off for Orsino. The honorable lady of the house. Which is she? Speak to me, I shall answer for her. Your will? <clears throat> Most radiant, exquisite, and unmatchable beauty. I pray you, tell me if this be the lady of the house, for I never saw her. I would be loath to cast away my speech, for besides that it is excellently well penned, I have taken great pains to con it. Good beauties, let me sustain no scorn. I am very comfortable, even to the least sinister usage. Whence came you, sir? I can say little more than I have studied, and that question's out of my part. Good gentle one, give me modest assurance if you be the lady of the house that I may proceed in my speech. Are you a comedian? No, my profound heart. And yet, by the very fangs of malice, I swear, I am not that I play. Are you the lady of the house? If I do not usurp myself, I am. If you are she, you do usurp yourself. For what is yours to bestow is not yours to reserve. But this is from my commission. I will on with my speech in your praise, and then show you the heart of my message. Ugh, come to what is important in it. I forgive you the praise. Alas, I took great pains to study it, and... "'Tis poetical. "'It is the more like to be feigned. "'I pray you, keep it in. "'I heard you were saucy at my gates "'and allowed your approach rather to wonder at you "'than to hear you. "'If you be not mad, be gone. "'If you have reason, be brief. "'It is not that time of moon with me "'to make one and so skipping a dialogue. "'Will you hoist sail, sir? "'Here lies your way.' "'No, good swabber. "'I am to hull here a little longer. "'Some mollification for your giant sweet lady.' "'Tell me your mind.' "'I am a messenger.' Sure, you have some hideous matter to deliver when the courtesy of it is so fearful. Speak your office. It alone concerns your ear. I bring no overture of war, no taxation of homage. I hold the olive in my hand. My words are as full of peace as matter. Yet you began rudely. What are you? What would you? The rudeness that hath appeared in me have I learned from my entertainment. <sighs> what I am and what I would are as secret as maidenhead. To your ears divinity, to any others... Profanation. Give us the place alone. We will hear this divinity. Mariah, Curio, and Valentine head out to give the two some privacy. Now, sir, what is your text? Most sweet lady. A comfortable doctrine, and much may be said of it. Where lies your text? In Orsino's bosom. In his bosom? In what chapter of his bosom? To answer by the method in the first of his heart. Oh, I have read it. It is heresy. Have you no more to say? Good madam, let me see your face. Have you any commission from your lord to negotiate with my face? <sighs> you are now out of your text. But we will draw the curtain and show you the picture. Olivia takes off her veil, revealing her beautiful face to Cesario. Look you, sir, such a one I was this present. Is it not well done? Excellently done, if God did all. Tis in grain, sir, it will endure wind and weather. "'Tis beauty truly blent, whose red and white nature's own sweet and cunning hand laid on. Lady, you're the cruelest she alive if you will lead these graces to the grave and leave the world no copy. "'Oh, sir, I will not be so hard-hearted. I will give out divers schedules of my beauty. It shall be inventoried, and every particle and utensil labeled to my will, as item, two lips in different red, 
Item, two gray eyes with lids to them. Item, one neck, one chin, and so forth. <laughs> Were you sent hither to praise me? I see what you are. You are too proud. <laughs> but if you were the devil, you are fair. My lord and master loves you. Oh, such love could be but recompensed, though you were crowned the nonpareil of beauty. How does he love me? With adoration's fertile tears, with groans that thunder love, with sighs of fire. Your lord does know my mind. I cannot love him. Yet I suppose him virtuous, know him noble, of great estate, of fresh and stainless youth. In voices well divulged, free, learned, and valiant, and in dimension, in the shape of nature, a gracious person. But yet I cannot love him. He might have took his answer long ago. If I did love you in my master's flame, with such a suffering, such a deadly life, in your denial I would find no sense. I would not understand it. Why, what would you? Make me a willow cabin at your gate, and call upon my soul within the house. Write loyal cantons of contemned love and sing them loud even in the dead of night. Halloo your name to the reverberate hills and make the babbling gossip of the air cry out, Olivia! <laughs> you should not rest between the elements of air and earth, but you should pity me. You might do much. What is your parentage? Above my fortunes, yet my state is well. I am a gentleman. Get you to your lord. I cannot love him. Let him send no more. Unless, perchance, you come to me again to tell me how he takes it. Fare you well. I thank you for your pains. Spend this for me. Uh, I'm no feed post, lady. Keep your purse. My master, not myself, lacks recompense. Love makes his heart a flint that you shall love, and let your fervor, like my master's, be placed in contempt. Farewell, fair cruelty. Viola nods politely to Olivia and takes her leave. What is your parentage? <clears throat> Above my fortunes, yet my state as well, I am a gentleman. Oh, I'll be sworn thou art. Thy tongue, thy face, thy limbs, actions, and spirit do give thee fivefold blazon. Not too fast. Soft. <laughs> Soft. Oh, unless the master were the man. How now? Even so quickly may one catch the plague? Methinks I feel this youth's perfections with an invisible and subtle stealth to creep in at mine eyes. Well, let it be. What ho, Malvolio? Malvolio dashes in as soon as he hears Olivia call. Here, madam, at your service. Olivia takes a ring off her finger, placing it in Malvolio's hand. Run after that same peevish messenger, the county's man. He left this ring behind him, would I or not. Tell him I'll none of it. Desire him not to flatter with his lord, nor to hold him up with hopes. I am not for him. If that the youth will come this way tomorrow, I'll give him reason for it. Hi thee, Malvolio. Madam, I will. Malvolio nods his assent, and exits in pursuit of Cesario. Oh, I do I know not what, and fear to find mine eye too great a flatterer for my mind. Fate show thy force, ourselves we do not owe. What is decreed must be, and be this so. Folks, that was a pretty action-packed half hour! Can Viola keep up the ruse as Cesario, even as she develops feelings for her dreamboat boss Orsino? Is Orsino winning Olivia's heart? Or is she beginning to fall for a certain someone else? 
someone whose name begins with a C and rhymes with Mazario? What a love conundrum. And don't forget about Sir Toby and his squadron of mischief makers. I wonder what plots they'll be hatching. All this and more on the next episode of Twelfth Night, the radio show. The lovely voices you heard today were those of Silas Hayes, Rhea Karosekar, Autumn Rout, Lex Schwartzman, Wolf Wheatley, Bob Lynch, Grace Handicus, Shannon Hughes, Will Clemens, Ingrid Kenyon, and Mia Shaker. Sound designed by Arian Crocker with original theme music by Michael McNulty. Twelfth Night was directed by Avery Erskine with assistance from Charlie Moose and Tanaka Mubavarirwa. This radio program was made possible by the Miller Art Scholars Program, WTJU, and William Shakespeare. For more information on this production's cast and crew, visit shakespeareonthelawn.org. This is Molly Rose Smith, speaking. <laughs>